Analyx 2.5. Meng and Zi asked about filiality. Xiao. The master replied, do not act contrary. Later, Fan Qi was driving the master's chariot, and the master explained and saying, Meng Zi asked me about filiality, and I replied, do not act contrary. Fan Qi asked, what did you mean by that? The master replied, while they are living, serve your parents in accordance with Li. When they are dead, bury them and sacrifice to them in accordance with Li. This analect and the next few are about filial relations. And it would be an important thing to discuss why filial relations are poor today. A relationship with one's parents is something that is very difficult because of there being a lot of expectations and a lot of potential heartbreak that results out of such an important relationship. When a stranger disappoints us, or even simply a neighbor, we don't feel the same kind of hurt that happens when a parent disappoints us. And this is true for other relations such as friendships, even though a friend does not turn out to be the kind of friend he should be, we're disappointed, but not to the degree that our parents can disappoint us. And of course, it goes the other way that I've, you see with a lot of parents, when they're talking about someone else's children, if they mess up or life doesn't go so well, it's okay, it's fine. They did well. Don't be so hard on them. Don't expect so much from them. But of course, when it comes to their own children, then the, you know, they want the moon. They want all of this glory and everything to make them proud. And so this is because of the closeness of the parent-child relation. Now, many parents are disappointing to their children today. And in, in some cases, it goes beyond disappointment. There is some kind of really uh, wretched relationships between parents and children. And nowadays you hear, oh, you know, such and such, somebody say, oh, their parent is uh, a narcissist or whatever trendy word they're trying to use to say this is a bad person. A lot of people really um, not only dislike their parents, but um, really even um, hate them. And that feeling, um, if you are one of these people who has trouble with their, uh, his or her relationship with his or her mother or father, I think it's important to recognize a few um, statements of wisdom here. So Shunzi says that fathers and sons distrust each other 
in a chaotic age. And Socrates, when he is discussing uh, democracy in Book 8, he is discussing a situation where, uh, where and he describes that fathers descend to the level of sons and fear them, while sons have no special respect for either of their parents. So these statements are worth unpacking, even though this is not directly from the Analects, because we live in a time where people do not get along with their parents, and there's all sorts of acrimony within this very cherished relationship. So let's talk about one aspect, this idea that Shunzi brings up that chaos leads to bad relations between fathers and sons, and of course, more generally between parents and children. One of the things that is important to understand about the nature of chaos is that we have rapidly unfolding change. If we think about the nature of truth and falsehood, there are infinitely more falsehoods then there are truths. And just in the same way that if you're doing a math problem, there's one number that you are uh, trying to get to as the answer, and therefore all the other numbers are incorrect. In that sense, if you're talking about chaos, you're talking about a time that keeps changing, and therefore it is unlikely that what is unfolding, what is, has become the present from what used to be considered the future, that this is something that inherently sets the child's understanding differently from the parent's understanding. So in more ordinary language, your generation has experienced and is living through a life that's very different from that of your parents. So if your parents are say, maybe typical baby boomers or um, early generation X, then those people had a much easier time finding employment that could also afford them a house in a fairly decent neighborhood. Now, if you are a millennial or younger, this is no longer the case. And that's the most perhaps considerable difference, most obvious difference between the generations. But think about all the smaller things that are different, such as growing up during the Cold War, where uh, the possibility of a nuclear war felt imminent, versus now where something else like global warming might be the global catastrophe that people are worrying about. Now, I'm not here to make an assessment as to how realistic global warming is or not, or um, you know, back in the 80s or 70s, how realistic um, direct war between the United States and the Soviet Union was. I'm not making a statement on that, but my point is there's simply a lot of change that 
happen between your parents' generation and yours, especially since people are no longer really having children at age 16 or 20, uh, but they're having children when they're 30 and 40. And so there's a immense degree of difference in in the everyday experiences of between you and your parents. If you look at United States history as a whole, practically every 40 years, the whole country changes very drastically. So just think about it this way. The 80s, the Soviet Union was still in existence compared to now, uh, where um, that is no longer a, a, um, a powerful rival uh, and it's not even existing at all uh, because today's Russia is, is much different from, from uh, the Soviet Union. Just think about social norms between the 80s and what's going on now. Very radically different. But compare the 80s, 40 years before that, to the 1940s, that's World War II. And that's also right after the Great Depression. So tons of change during that time. Then let's go back another 40 years. That's the 1900s, a very different world than the 1940s in World War II. 1900s, uh, America is mostly agricultural. Uh, there are cities of a course, but America is mostly still a very agricultural nation and the industry is nothing compared to the what has developed by the 1940s. And then, of course, 40 years before the 1900s is the 1860s. That's the Civil War. This is where slavery ends, or at least privately owned, um, privately owned slavery. And um, because, and I say that because as a, as a tangent, um, if you are having to do something like jury duty or you're drafted, uh, to fight in a war, uh, well, guess what? Um, or if you go to jail and you're, you're, you're making these license plates or whatever other labor, labor, well, guess what? The state is forcing you to do labor and usually for not very much money. Okay, um, and so 19, 1860s, very different world um, compared to the 1900s. Then you go from the 1860s compared to the 1820s. This is just about probably the best age of the United States. I wouldn't say golden age because there are still plenty of problems during this time. But the 1820s um, is a very young stage in American history. And of course, before that is uh, 1780, where the Constitution hasn't even been written yet. Though every 40 years, the world changes drastically. That means on average, you as an, if you are an American as an adult uh, and you go live a full lifespan of say 80 years, on average, you're gonna go see the, the country change um, possibly very drastically twice in your lifetime. But most people always believe that how they grew up is what's normal, how they grew up is how it still is basically, and how they grew up is something will eventually return back to, no matter how weird it gets. And so they're always stuck in this mentality because most people cannot tell the difference between fundamental truths and transient 
temporary realities. Because of their inability to distinguish these two things, what is temporary and what is fundamental, they are not quite able to adapt, they're not able to study what happened in the past or in their own experience and apply it to what's happening now because the same thing is not going to happen. Even for maybe the most part, it's not going to necessarily happen. You, If you grew up in a time where your loyalty to the company was rewarded with constant employment and fair raises, it doesn't mean that's going to continue because that's a transitory thing. And you're not thinking about more fundamental realities such as the petty man's drive to gain advantage, money, and so forth. So, uh, speaking of you know petty persons, uh, fortunately, um, you know some someone out there is making making noise um, needlessly. Not talking even about children playing outside and getting exercise. I'm talking about uh, people, you know, doing stuff. I won't specify exactly what's going on, but blasting music or uh, driving intentionally loud motor vehicles. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk about, you know, there's only so much you could do about petty persons. And, if, and, and indeed, there's only so much you could do about your own parents. Um, we'll talk about ways that you can improve, try to improve the relation between yourself and your parents, but there is a limitation as to what you can do to um, improve other people. And we'll, we'll go into that a bit. Uh, I wish I did live in a quieter neighborhood because uh, I'm doing this work. It's very helpful to have quiet and peace to be able to focus. You know, if there's some issue going outside your, of your home. It's hard to concentrate. You can lose um, where you are going with your thought process or with your teaching. So um, <clears throat> this would be a good time to, 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 mind, um, to remind everybody that uh, the uh, rekindled radiance Academy is uh, does um, run on donations and uh, offerings to um, to help provide for a place and a set of teachings that's useful for anybody who is trying to make their way through this modern and very broken and corrupted world. So let's go back um, from this um, distraction. Um, from this tangent and let's go back to talking about this idea that chaos breeds misunderstanding between parents and children. We see this in the difference, differences between generations and because even the way, very way that you grew up is different, you don't understand each other and because you don't understand each other, you see each other as being foolish and because of that, there's a lack of trust. And so I think this explains the statements, statement that fathers and sons distrust each other during a chaotic 
age. Another um, another thing that I think relates to Shunzi and both Shunzi and Socrates actually is this general idea of um, how the culture relates to people, people's personalities, and how that damages relationships, uh, particularly between parents and children. So if the culture is perverse, if it's broken, it's corrupt, then people grow in, within that culture to have bad personalities. And that bad and those bad personalities don't just aren't just segmented to towards public behavior. Um, this takes root in the hearts and minds of people. And so every one of their relationships are affected by bad personalities. And so the parents themselves are not good people overall in a culture that is bad. And then they raise their children in a poor manner as well. And so the children also have bad personalities. What's also what's so interesting to me about these generational conflicts is that uh, somebody had to raise these children. So it it boggles my mind whenever I see people say that their generation is okay, but then their children's generation is bad, or more uh, perhaps specifically, they're okay persons, but their children are no good. Well, you raise them and your generation raised your children's generation. So there needs to be some responsibility taken for that, for those poor results. And of course, where does bad culture come from, who is responsible for the culture is government. So if you have bad culture, then that points to there being bad government. And if you have consistently bad government, that means your system of governing is bad. So consider that. Now, um, if we go back to Socrates more specifically, he is talking about democracy and to him, um, what is praised as a freedom and equality really in a democracy amounts to anarchy, where people are just doing whatever they want, whenever they want, and are not doing this based on principles of justice, um, but rather what whims come into their heads. And they call this kind of behavior freedom and equality and so everybody regardless of how good or wise they are are placed on the same level with those who are not wise and not good and so you have this this dynamic that leads to a lack of respect and you could argue that this lack of respect the this is not a point that socrates makes in uh, at least plato's republic but I'm going to give you a more Confucian insight here. If you don't respect those who are um, higher than you or superior in position to you, so for example, uh, if you're subject to a lord or if you're son to a father, if you don't 
or if your child to an elder elderly person, if you don't respect uh, people that are in this higher position than you are, that those people, uh, let's call them superiors, and let's call you the subordinate, the superiors are not going to um, be affectionate towards you. They're not going to look out for you. There's going to be this antagonism. So respect towards elders, people in the higher position, that's essential for good relations. The only true relationship of equality in Confucian thought is the friendship. But everything else is somewhat hierarchical or explicitly hierarchical. Explicitly hierarchical in this um, form of the lord and subject or king and subject uh, or king and minister and implicitly hierarchical in other uh, situations. <clears throat> but every relation is hierarchical. That doesn't mean, of course, that the superior person can treat um, the lower position uh, person uh, the person, person in the lower position poorly, that doesn't mean that, um, but rather that the person that has a higher position has a sense, needs to have a sense of responsibility and is willing to sacrifice himself for the benefit of his subordinates. And so that reciprocity is essential to the Confucian understanding of relations and only the friendship is a truly equal um, uh, relation there. Now, um, some of you who are uh, thinking ahead might think, well, what about the husband and wife? That's a, we'll talk about that in a, in a different, at a different time. Um, I don't want to continue on too long on, on this one analect uh, because Confucius's Tao is connected to everything. And so if I start, you know, going into one direction, uh, we'll never, we'll never be able to get back within an hour. All right. So um, let's go back to this idea more generally that bad culture, perverse culture leads to perverse individuals within that culture. Confucius is saying, do not disobey Li, do not disobey the, rit uh, the rituals, the rites, or do not act contrary to ritual propriety. And this is an excellent point because Li can, if we're talking about bad culture leading to bad people and therefore bad relations, Li is proper forms of culture. And so therefore it can bring a proper cultural mentality to relationships and therefore start to heal or repair or rectify these relationships, especially within the family. Now, it is true that your results will vary because, um, and it because it depends on a few things. One, uh, what kind of relation do you have? If you are the father doing this to his sons, this is the most effective way about using Li, or the, this is the most effective relation from which Li can repair the relationship. Uh, because the father has natural authority over the children and acts as, as a role model. Now, in Confucian thought, 
the mainstream Confucian thought, the father actually does not directly instruct the, the child, uh, his children, because Mencius points out this is just going to lead to conflict within the relationship. Um, children will say to the father, he's being a hypocrite, and the father will be disappointed in the child, and so it's better to find a teacher for the instruction. But you certainly can role model what is proper. And uh, when the father stops instructing and instead looks inward to see what does he value? What does he do? How does he behave? Then this is the best way to quote unquote raise a child. So part of that is Lee that guides your behavior and guides it in a way that makes sense for the father-son relation uh, or more generally the parent-child relation. And so if you abide by Lee, if you are in accordance with Lee, then your relationship there will improve. What is difficult is the other way around, um, where the child um, changes the father. And I'll give a little story from um, way into uh, uh, the past. If you're talking about, I believe it's the, um, um, it's, it's the very first sage kings. And so the very first sage king is Yao, um, in the Confucian tradition. And then uh, the next person is Shun. And Shun is, um, his, is a virtuous, uh, he's a sage king. But his father's not a good father. At one point, um, he plots with Shun's older brother um, to uh, destroy him, this is to destroy Shun. And, um, but according to Manchus, Shun um, acts as a filial son, and then eventually Shun's father changes his wicked ways. Now, there's two things to say about this. One is, this is um, we're talking about sage here. A sage, Shengren, is somebody who is goes beyond the Jinza, beyond just an ordinary virtuous person. He is just, um, he is as great as a human being can be. It is it's almost theoretical. Um, and so most of us are not going to really be able to completely change our parents, but we can, we can make some degree of change. That's important to understand. And it begins with Lee. Again, we'll, we'll talk about this in the next few analytics. We're not done with a you know, filiality shall, or what's common, uh, commonly translated as filial piety. I always thought that was a little bit of a um, kind of an odd translation because piety is usually reserved for God or the gods. Um, and maybe in some cultures, your father is literally a god to you. But, um, you know, there's a recognition that fathers are still human beings in Confucian thought. And sometimes the son is more virtuous than the fathers. Certainly in the, uh, the case of Shun, that's the uh, that's the reality there. Um, you know, so it depends on whether you are higher or lower in the relation. So if you're in a lower uh, position, then it's harder to change that uh, the person who's higher, but it's still possible. But it also depends on the intimacy. So people who are not intimate to you at all, if they're strangers, there's only so much that you're going to change them, of course, or if they're just uh, living in your neighborhood only so much that you can change with them. 
if you're trying to change society, people who are not related to you specifically, you know, other than the fact that they just happen to live in the same geographic area that you are in, whether we're talking about the neighborhood, the city, the county, or the province, or the, you know, et cetera, the country, you are going to need status to be able to change that. And that's something that is uh, tends to be ignored by a lot of professors who uh, are universities who uh, you know, are supposed to be experts on Confucian thought. And they miss this reality because usually these guys have lived in, in fairly nice neighborhoods, but in any case, where they are now is that they are a professor who only gets respect from their students for the most part. And so all they have to do is, you know, point in the right direction or set the right tone. And naturally all the students follow them because they want A's. Okay. Well, this is a reality. This is a situation where the person's status is what allows him influence, cultural influence over how their students behave. And so similarly, if you have high status in your, in your county, in your city, or in your country, in your province or state, if you have that, then you can go a little bit further, but that doesn't really quite work uh, most of the time in democracies because democracies, um, what they do is that, and this is a bit of tangent, can't, can't spend too much time on this, and so I'll explain this into more depth at other points. The thing about democracy is that you have ordinary people, and most people are petty, collectively judging other people, and they're going to do that on relatively petty terms. And other times, Mencius or Shunzi, Confucius, uh, or in the Analects, people say um, things like uh, the you know common people or the petty uh, common people don't really understand why the Junzi does the things he does, or the petty people simply. Um, cannot understand the Junzi. And so you have um, this recognition that is um, applicable to the modern situation. It's always important to be able to, once you read any of these texts, to interpret and then understand the principle. And, um, and sometimes you need some, a little bit of history to understand that. And speaking of which, we'll, we'll talk about the history behind this 2.5, who Meng Yizi is and so forth. But anyways, um, you need to be able to use uh, your interpretation skills and to get to the principle. And then once you get to the principle, you need to be able to know how to apply that to the modern situation. And I'm doing that all for, for you guys. Um, I'm doing this all for you folk and um, uh, analog by analog. So, uh, you know, um, I'm, you don't have to take this heavier, otherwise very heavy burden upon your shoulders. Uh, but this does take a lot of time and effort here. So, um, what we're doing here, uh, when we're going back to Lee, you have to understand that the type of relationship you have with the other person um, your, will vary your mileage in terms of how um, 
in terms of the efficacy of, of using LEAP to properly rectify the relationship. Let's talk about Meng Yizhi and who he is. Meng Yizhi is the eldest son of the Meng family, which is um, in Confucius's home state of Lu. One, which, um, and and the home, you know, his home kingdom is supposed to be led by the the duke, or sometimes it's translated as as king. Um, so you have the king, the duke. He's the monarch of that area. Um, and there are three aristocratic families that essentially are the real power, that constitute the true power, the real power within the uh, state of Lu. And so the, the king or duke is not the one who really calls the shots. And this is a situation that dismays Confucius. And we'll see some of that later on. Uh, but here, what Hmong, the Hmong family, the Hmong clan is one of those uh, powerful families, one of three. And the son is asking here. So one commentator uh, surmises that what's going on is um, Confucius is trying to explain to his student Fan Chi that um, he's he's implying to at least implying to Meng Zi in addition to uh, what he's saying more directly about virtual propriety Li and serving your parents. What he's saying is. Um, uh, that the Hmong family is not following um, ritual propriety themselves, and so the dis do not disobey, do not act contrary is regarding ritual propriety, and so there's a double meaning. Okay, that's that's one particular um, commentator, one particular Confucian scholar's interpretation. I just want to bring it out there um, because I myself do not know. Um, I can't say as to uh, whether I find this convincing or not. I just wanted to bring it out because it's, it's an interesting uh, point there. And so the um, the Confucian scholar who, who, who says this, his name is Wei Guan, W-E-I space G-U-A-N. Uh, if you want to look him up uh, yourself and you can and see what his reasons are for this, um, you can do that. And so um, the idea here is that Meng Yizhi wished to employ Confucius, um, but Confucius wanted to demonstrate to Fan Qi that this is not the kind of person that you should compromise your integrity for. Okay, now, Again, I don't know um, how reliable that is, but I think it's an interesting idea and worth bringing up. So let's go back to a larger point. Do not act contrary. Do not disobey. He's not saying do not act, do not disobey your parents ever. Do not act contrary to your parents ever. Uh, because there's a recognition in 
every Confucian philosopher's uh, thinking that um, your parents, you know, you're not just a servant of your parents. Um, your parents can be wrong. And when they are wrong, it is actually your duty to try to get them back on the right path. That is actually what a filial son does. And you can relate this to other relations. So, for example, a bad minister is one who acts slavishly towards his king. Because when the king does badly, or thinks badly, or decides badly, then it's actually up for the minister to remonstrate. And if he cannot remonstrate, he should resign. And so evil ministers are those who flatter their king and ultimately in doing so betray them because when they allow their kings to be bad leaders, this also endangers uh, not just not only their subjects, but also the king himself, the king, uh, the king's ro uh, royal family uh, and the descendants of the king, including the, the crown prince. Uh, because in Confucian thought, a person's virtue is strictly tied to the well-being of the country and the well-being of the country is strictly tied to the well-being of the royal household, the royal family, including the king and the crown prince. So um, in, in essence, it is, a, it is um, somebody who only flatters the king and goes along with bad plans, unrighteous plans, inhumane plans, boo-ren plans, um, that person has the intent of betrayal. And so if you're a son of a parent that, uh, or a daughter of a parent that is disappointing you, you should still try to get them to do what's correct, what is right. That is what a good son does. That is what a good daughter does. Um, and so, um, that is what you should do. For sons, this duty goes through the la uh, rest of their life. For daughters, once they get married, then it becomes more complicated, and we'll talk about that in, a, in another time. So, it's, Confucius is not saying, as a general rule, uh, never disobey your parents. That's incorrect. Um, Shunzi brings up the saying, um, follow the Tao, not your ruler, and follow E, righteousness, not your father. So I think that makes it very clear um, where priorities lie. But you still do this out of love and respect for your parents because you know, just like when you're raising a child, you want them to be good persons. And so you discipline them. So in the same way, if you see your parents go off into the wrong direction, there's a kind of um, attempt at rectification. You can't discipline them because you're not in the superior position, but what you can do is remonstrate. We'll talk about that um, later in, in book two. Um, book two, let me give you a number here. Um,
actually it's in book four, 418, um, you know, that you should remonstrate respectfully, um, not be resentful if they don't follow your advice. So uh, that's how to go generally about it. And at the end of the day, uh, it's just simply important to understand that your parents are human beings too, and they're going to be, um, they like any other individuals in society are going to be um, corrupted morally and in terms of their wisdom by society. So all the things that they watched while growing up or watched now, all of the teachings that were taught to them from kindergarten and onward, all of the friends that they had, the way that their own parents raised them, um, the media in general, uh, we were talking about movies and um, uh, news, all and you know the, the the flimsy and glib speech of the politicians, all of that, all of that twists and perverts and corrupts the minds and hearts of all individuals, and your parents are not an exception to that. And so um, this, I think, does even explain really extreme forms of abusive behavior, uh, even. If our culture was righteous, if our culture accorded to Lee ritual propriety, if it accorded and had with Ren and had Ren leadership, then this would be a very different situation. In those times, you don't have these sorts of perverse behaviors and perverse actions. And so it's very important to understand we live in a time of chaos. We live in a time of darkness. We live in a time of immorality and license. And the more that you believe in the society, the worse you will become and the worse your relationships with your parents will be become because you don't see the evil that they have been poisoned by. And so you don't need, you don't see them when they do something wrong. You don't see this as a symptom of sickness, of illness. You just think that's who they are, that they were born as, and or who they wanted to become by their own free will. But free will is, is not very. Um, it doesn't really work as absolutely as people think they do. People think that they really can change how they are just on a on a whim. But you know, if you've ever seen somebody with addiction, you know that's not true. But even beyond biochemical addictions, like to nicotine, uh, for example, or alcohol, you have a situation where, uh, you know, the, 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 the culture is working in all sorts of subtle and nuanced ways to manipulate you into thinking that's what you want to do. That's what is good for you. This is what will make you happy. This is what should be. This is what's righteous. But it's not the case. It's not truly the case. So I hope that when, you, as you continue studying the Tao, the Tao of Confucius, the Tao of the Ru scholars, the Tao of Ru philosophy, the Tao of Ren, as you continue studying, you can have a better um, perspective on 
on your parents and who they are and your relation. Again, we'll talk about filial, uh, you know, shall, filial piety, filiality, however you want to call it. We'll talk about this more and more in the next few analects are regarding this. They should be a little bit shorter than today's lecture. We had to just submit a lot of groundwork uh, before um, we can go through the other ones a little more quickly. So wait till the next lecture and we'll continue talking about filiality.